0: Welcome to the Twilight Conversations. My name is Jimmy, and in this podcast, I'll be exploring human relationships, human potential, and that curious space between the dark and the light. Hello, hello, hello. So, welcome back. Um, just to say to thank everyone for the, the feedback we're getting and questions, both on the Patreon page and on our email uh, page, which is really, really great. Um, great responses to uh, Sparky 1 and 2, and also to the last episode I did, this uh, solo, this is my second solo run, that was on toxic positivity, so there were a lot of questions about that and interest in continuing that. So um, today I'm going to speak a bit about, on request by quite a few people, some of the areas I've touched on in, in previous podcasts with Deep. I've been asked to talk more about complex post-traumatic stress disorder and the impact of that on adult relationships. Um, Particularly, you know, the one where, you know, we can all meet toxic people or narcissists or abusive people and find ourselves in relationships with them. That can happen to anybody. But if we have, if we happen to have, and a lot of us do, some trauma, some hurts from childhood that aren't quite resolved or they're still hurting, That has a particular impact in how we interact. And I'll get into that more as we go along, just to give you a flavour for that. You know, the whole area of where we, others say, we find ourselves saying, why can't I leave him or Now, it could be any relationship, but I I probably will lean more into kind of a romantic or a loving, well, say loving, with a narcissist, how possible is that, type of relationship, you know. Uh, but you can apply it to any kind of connection with someone who is abusive or toxic or narcissistic. You know we can use those interchangeably um so, yeah, as I said, you know thanks for all the the feedback and it's lovely when I do meet people and they say, "Oh, yeah, I listened to your podcast. It was great, and you know, and I wasn't sure how it would go doing it on my own as well, apart from interviewing people, but uh, that seems to be going well, so I'm going at it again because it's it's very difficult to interview someone every time to get people to with their uh schedules and all that type of stuff you know um i think you know i i think you all remember i began with the very Charismatic, ridiculously talented uh, and totally lovable Glenn Hansard. That interview everyone loved. And then I followed that on with the force of nature, the irrepressible brilliance of Dean Scurry. And again, equally, the people really liked that. Then I went on. I know those people are connected. There's a bit of a joke about me choosing all my own people. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. To the very talented, very funny, uh, deeply respected uh, He's a youth worker, outreach worker, and so much more. Uh, Sparky Cochrane, part one and part two. Uh, part two will be coming out. I don't know if it'll be out by the time this is out. probably will be, yeah. The timing's different because I'm recording this now. This probably won't go out for a couple of weeks. Uh, other ones will. Um, and look, my apologies. Uh, people were asking about Thomas McCann, the founder of the Travel Accounting Service. I was meant to interview Thomas, but just the schedules clashed a little bit, so he will be coming on board uh, in the near future. I think there are all the kind of announcements out of the way and the thank yous and all that kind of stuff. Um Yeah, and again, much much appreciated the comments made on the Patreon page. In other words, that that's cold for give us a few Bob, you stingy bastards. <laughs> but like I know that I listen to stuff like Brian and I haven't contributed yet, I'm going to, you know, I'm going yeah, so I understand that. I totally get it. Um I'm homeless. You know, no, I'm not I'm not relying on it. I'd love to re- I'd love to make a living out of it, like into retirement, which like isn't that far away from me? So yeah, hint hint. <laughs> anyway, so let me talk to you about complex 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 you try fucking saying it all in one go. <laughs> complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Now we're all familiar with the phrase post-traumatic stress disorder. Um it's it's a a very healthy reaction our our bodies, our psyches have to uh, like a shocking event that could be a crash, it could be a a death, it could be uh, some kind of an attack, it could be a sexual attack. You know, it it varies with different people and our, our bodies, psyches react to that in order to help us maintain balance. But that can be quite difficult, we're quite familiar with that, with with flashbacks, with panic, with fear, uh, getting stuck and not being able to maybe go out, not being able to be in certain places, you know, and that can be worked through and it's difficult. You know, we first encountered it, I think, with uh, Judith Lewis Herman, was the writer in trauma and recovery, Um, particularly with uh, Vietnam vets. You know, I mean, it's always been around, but it began to be identified and named them with what they were showing, addiction, uh, you know. Homelessness, problematic behaviours, all of that type of thing, you know. Um, And then obviously for some, that was understood to be, you know, post traumatic stress disorder. But then we understood that for a lot of people, they may have PTSD, but they also may, that may be impacted or reinforced by childhood experiences. And this is where the complex comes in. And the reason that we, you know, I say we, like I'm one of the professionals. (laughs) Yes, we. But, you know, it's called complex post-traumatic stress disorder because invariably it develops in childhood. And, you know, the big difference, and I know I've said this before, but it's worth reiterating, if something traumatic happens to us as an adult uh, and, and we don't have any real childhood trauma as such, it's really, really difficult, but we've got enough, you know, fuel in the tank to get through it kind of thing. all right we've got a developmental sense if trauma occurs in childhood the real fundamental piece there it's happening at a in our developmental time when we're being influenced when our brains are just developing so we start developing in a traumatic way we don't have anything to fall back on whereas an adult we have If if that makes sense, I'm trying to put it that way. So, you know, brain chemicals, brain structures, uh, emotional patterns, reactions to things, strategies are all based on dysfunction or trauma or survival, right? So there, it's almost like that's bed in, that's baked in to the child's psyche. You know, it's not just a conscious thing you can switch off. So that may or you know, can and does cause complications in life, particularly then into relationships, you know, so you can see the, the complexities and complicated nature of that. You know, and then for some people, maybe they've forgotten about the childhood peace, because it's kind of unconscious and understandably and pushed away because it's very painful. And we're talking about experiences from addiction in the family, uh, different types of abuses, psychological, spiritual, sexual, emotional, all of the above. You know, a profound loss, separation at an early age. You know, it's very different for different people. But anything that interrupts profoundly a natural development of the child's psyche and coping mechanisms. I'm just going to take a cup of tea now, as they say. Hang on a second. So I'm going to move away from the mic. There you go. You have to have your cup of tea. Hmm. So, I won't say too much more about that. I think you get the idea there. And again, you can always research more. um, You know, the likes of Trauma and Recovery by Judith Lewis-Herman is really good. Gabor Maté is is really good. Anything up by him. um, Van der Kolk, you know, a lot of the therapists would know that. But that stuff. Okay, so let's look at what happens when you have that. Let's say you have some kind of dysfunctional, abusive experience as a child that I'll really break it down and simplify it. That tells me, not consciously, somehow there's something wrong with me, right? Again, the child or the adult, as an adult, I may not consciously think that. It's kind of a sense, it's kind of in the background, you know? Do you know what I mean? There's something kind of wrong with me. I've got something wrong somewhere in this planet, right? Um, Some people describe it as on the outside looking in. That kind of experience, you know, that kind of thing. We're always, you know, I often think of being at a party party. Not at a party, about seven. We were in England at the time and there was this Indian family because there was lots of uh, Asians in, in that part of the, where we were. And my brother was friends with one of the guys. He was, my brother was eight, I was seven or six. And he went to the party and I knew they were all in the party. And I was at the window as this little kid looking in. <laughs> it's really sad, isn't it? But you know what I mean? That feeling has stayed with me. Like, why won't they let me in, you know? And I wasn't a bad kid, I don't, I don't. I'm not, not now taking it personally, but I, 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 it's to kind of capture that, there's something wrong. I think someone came out and gave me a biscuit and said, like, go on home. I went home crying. Come on, let me go to the party, you know. Um, but that's a, a kind of a funny way of looking at it, you know, that feeling of, now again, I wasn't walking along saying well, I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder as a seven-year-old and I'm feeling that somehow in this human kind of journey, I'm quite different and not quite good enough, you know. But the seeds are planted there. And I'm not saying that was even a traumatic event. That was kind of a lighthearted event. But let's imagine other things happen to a child that leave him or her feeling. And again, you know, parents may be in addiction. They may not be able. They may behave badly. Someone else may behave badly, you know. But for the child, that's profound, you know. And apart from the actual impact of being hit, I don't just mean a tap in the ears, maybe violently being touched sexually inappropriately, being raped, being abandoned because we have what's called trauma of omission. Uh that's one of the most uh, insidious ones because it's like kind of nothing happened to you. And that's the problem. You, you know, you were left. And people often find that hard to identify because they say nothing happened to me. And, and I'll say, yeah, exactly. So we've got a combination of what should happen, didn't happen. and What happened shouldn't have happened. And sometimes people might get the combination of the two, trauma of commission, trauma of omission, you know. So what I'm trying to get at is the seeds are being laid down early. So the child is beginning to see the world, the world, as they say, and see relationships in terms of deficit. Like, I've I've done something wrong somewhere and I have to try and behave good so you will love me, basically, whoever you are. Mammy or daddy doesn't. I've done something wrong. I don't just mean any deed. There's something wrong with me. We talked before about the difference between, oh shit, I did something wrong. I'm sorry. I feel bad and feeling really bad and ashamed just because I breathe. You know, I'm not quite right. I don't fit the mark. There's something up with me. I have to work a bit harder to get your love. I feel a bit on the outside. Yeah. I feel like I'm the black sheep and may often become the black sheep, you know, in that sense. So, it's it's an adaptation. It's like an adjustment somehow uh, to this world, and it's actually quite a brilliant adjustment, even though it causes lots of problems, because the what we'll call the self image has been formed in a way that's saying, "I don't quite. I'm not like other people. It's not necessarily true, you know, but that's the feeling, and in a bad way. There's something. The reason that you behaved badly towards me was because." I'm being punished because I didn't, I wasn't good enough. I didn't sound right. I didn't look right. Uh, I just don't get it, you know. And I will somehow have to learn how to find out what's the code. I remember as a child, I was wondering, what's the code? What are they all talking about? How do you get in? I always felt like I couldn't get in, you know, to whatever it was. Even when people were being nice to me and talking to me, I always had that feeling like, like I was watching a film you nearly. Know? And I know now that's a coping mechanism, uh, but almost like, you know, I think I said this before in podcasts, I always thought people were having much deeper conversations than they were actually having. Now, maybe they were. But I, but I, la- I later found out they weren't having. I always found thought, like, I'm missing out on something. Or, shit, what, what are they talking about? What is this? And then I always got kind of disappointed because I always I liked a bit of profundity and then I thought it wasn't there and I'm still missing out, All those types of combinations. But let's bring me into adulthood now. I bring a person into adulthood with that kind of adaptation that I'm approaching relationships on the back foot to use Dane Scurry when he's describing uh, his encounter with uh, some of the travellers, friends travellers are on the back foot ready to jab you know this is a great description and a lot of us are like that so you're on the back foot and somehow if I'm even though I'm an intellectual adult and I'm kind of equal and everything's fine and we're all good um, somehow and I'm not always conscious of it at a deep level if I enter a relationship if someone shows interest in me I immediately think that I have to overcompensate to keep their interest. You get me? Have a think about that now for a moment. You know, that they're not liking me just because I'm Jimmy or whoever you are. Think, you know, apply this to yourself. The reason this attraction is here or it might be a mistake. Maybe they made a mistake. That's another one. Could this be true? Could they really, really like me? Now, on the surface, as an adult, everything's fine. Of course the person likes you. There's not a problem at all. It's all normal at that level. It would be conscious for me now, but it wasn't throughout my life. But what's kicking off inside me is all the alarm bells, all the trauma alarm bells. Like, okay, this, either I'm going to get abandoned. I'm going to be rejected. This is going to go wrong. I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to get it right. um, There's something kind of odd about me. uh, I'm a weirdo. I'm a freak, uh, all those awful things. And that's an an interesting an awful thing about trauma not only what other people have done to us but what we do to ourselves then so i'm abusing myself psychologically far more than anyone else does by saying these things about myself or you know see if you can recognize that in yourself telling myself i'm this like awful person and you know there's a lot of talk these days about the imposter syndrome this comes into a big time if they really knew me, I'm going to be found out. I'm going to get the tip on the shoulder. I'm going to get the hook. You know, um. They're they're going to discover. You know, um. He's just really doesn't. He's, he's not. Gonna look at him. He's too big. He's too small. He's too fat. He's too thin. He's too smart. He's not smart enough. He's uh, just not lovable, really. And it doesn't make sense consciously because people that make me. You know, I feel people do love me and it's nice so I can get it. So it's not like pour me around like that. It's, I'm trying to open, open up to you that as an adult, the child can be active, right? Now the child in this is really, really interesting and really, really powerful. And there's many aspects of the child, but I'm going to break it into two just for the moment. There's the magical child, the wonderful child the totally accepting child that's in us all the kind of innocent spiritual excited normal uh, totally lovable very natural uh our real selves if you like the magical child is our real selves it's the real us it's the us we want to be you know um so that's there right Totally unique, beautiful, wonderful, unrepeatable, lovable, charming, interesting, uh, enchanting, exciting—all those things. That's in us all, that child. That's that's a really really crucial piece. So just hold that thought for the moment. And then there's the wounded child, okay? And that wounded child is full of what we call cognitive distortions about him or herself. All oh, that there's something wrong with me. They only like me because they're looking for something. This is going to go wrong. I'm afraid. Fear is huge. I'm afraid I'm going to be humiliated. That's a huge piece of this. I'm going to be humiliated. Um, It's all going to go wrong. They're going to laugh at me. Again, that may reflect back to a childhood experience where humiliation was a feature. And I think uh, humiliation, I can even taste it now. It leaves a certain taste, doesn't it? A feel that you don't forget. You know, it's it's, it's a horrendous experience for an adult particularly for a child to feel shamed or humiliated uh, particularly by adults um, or anyone you know and laughed at and those kind of things so that all can get that all can get kicked off right so we've got the magical child beautiful natural now they're one and the same but I'm just using this as an example this is what's very very powerful because the beautiful magical natural child gets often shut down uh, or repressed and the other child comes in and that child might also throw tantrums might be unreasonable as you know might be uh, hurt very quickly oversensitive so to speak uh, fearful uh, a little angry maybe sometimes unreasonable you get what I'm talking about okay Uh, shy timid and that particular aspect of the child has a, a Awful self-image. And I'm going to use it, awful. He, she feels there is something really, really bad about me. I've done something so wrong. There's something so awful. People will want to touch me because they'll catch something there. That feeling, that's I know it's very strong, isn't it? That's very, very, very powerful. And it comes deep in the body. It's deep in the gut. Now, from a psychological or psychotherapy point of view, what's happening there is the child has taken on the abuse from the outside and owned it as theirs. So you usually, once you start hearing that, you know that's how the person was treated, but it's not them. Does that make any sense? I think most of the term is not projection, it's an introject, we call it. It's where we take in, you know, experiences and values from the outside, even though they're not ours and we make them ours and they're horrible. So that awful self-image is very much steeped in very, very frightening and painful childhood experiences where the child was humiliated and hurt. And a child has only one option there to say it must be me, you know. And that never gets healed or worked out so it comes into adulthood, okay. So again, there's many aspects to the child but just for the sake of discussion I just wanted to break it up into the two for the moment. Uh, i call the magical child, the magical natural child and the very wounded child, you know. And they're both equally lovable and they're one and the same. But they, what can happen is they can overlap each other um, you know, one can drown out the other, but often, as in in style therapy, top dog is the wounded child. The wounded child will kind of take precedence because that's the part that's on alert. That's the part that's the trauma piece. The other part of the child is like, I'm cool. It's not a thing wrong, you know. And it comes out of us every so often. Do you, ever, do you ever do that where you feel really free and you do something? You think, God, I'd love to be like that all the time. You know, your real self comes out. That's that's your magical child coming out. Nothing wrong with that. But um we're not able to sustain it because the wounded child is so overwhelmed he she kicks in and kind of goes shut that shit up no come on you're going to get hurt here you can't be that free blah 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 i'm going to give you uh, I, I don't know whether i spoke about this on a podcast before but uh, i think as some of you know most you know i work as a therapist and i've you know for many years and i've worked in treatment centers i was working in this particular treatment center and i was doing like a, a workshop with the whole c- kind of community and with as as i've mentioned before with addiction people and addictions, but you can have a bit of fun because people, there's a lot of image, you know, people are very fearful, but you might get a lot of like hard men or woman image or people pretending they don't give a fuck, you know, but they're really terrified deep down and they just want to be loved like anybody else. So sometimes I, I do a bit of playful stuff around maybe, you know, uh, as image breakers, animals and stuff like that, you know, let's, let's play around with that. You know, if you were describing your addiction as an animal, what would it be, if you were describing your recovery as an animal, what would it be? And I've got a rule of thumb. I never ask any client to do anything I wouldn't do. So they're all kind of going, I'm not getting up and being an animal. I'm not doing a horse or a lion or a rat like that in front of everybody. I'm not doing a chicken, you know, totally humiliating, but in a fun way. So I always do it. And I remember start, I got up and I don't know, I did a chicken maybe. You can imagine how humiliating that would look in the middle of 25 people looking at you in the middle of the floor. I was crawling around as a snow. I don't know what the fuck I was doing, making weird noises. But anyway, the heel of the hunt, uh, People got into it, but this guy said to me, I'm fucking really embarrassed. This is, I'm cringing for you, Jimmy. He said, do not, you not think, uh, I feel like, you're not afraid people think you're a fool. I thought my answer was pretty spectacular, to be honest with you. Uh, I didn't think it at the time, but as I look back, I said, well, I'm already a fool, so uh, I'll beat you to it. So, uh, Do you know what I mean? And I think I did speak about this before. You know, being able to embrace your inner foolishness thats uh, a sign of security and strength. So there was the magical child and the wounded child meeting in a healing way, right? That could have been potentially devastating when that guy said that to me. But I didn't care in a lovely way. I thought, yeah, so what? So I was going through that barrier where you encounter other people's discomfort and embarrassment and recognize that for what it is, but you transcend that. And then that gives many people freedom to be, by the end of it, we're all jumping around like kids, you know, and most people enjoying that fun. And and then, paradoxically, that can lead to tears and people can get into stuff then, you know, um, when you're allowed to be playful because it reminds people of childhood. So there's something about being able to laugh at lovingly our own inner foolishness the way children do. Right, Because if you saw a child jumping around and laughing and playing, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be embarrassed. You'd be like, that's great. But seeing an adult, you know. So it's a, it's a very interesting piece to look at. Because that as we're adults, this is what happens to us. The, the wounded child gets locked in and the playful part gets repressed. The playful part is the natural loving part that gets repressed. And usually when someone likes us, if it's a romantic setting, they're tuning into that playful part. They like the way, we like the way he or she moves or talks and the funny and the natural. Naturalness is such an attractive quality, isn't it? And people just like us for ourselves, but we just, if we've got that inner child wound in us, it's very hard to accept that shit they're going to find out. Start to become rigid, the rigid start to, you know, uh, we talk about going up into the head. You know, oh, this is going to happen. The distorted thinking comes in. The wounded child starts to dominate the proceedings. The adult goes out the window. So you get what I'm saying? So I'm going to bring that now into, so when we, that's fine if if we're like that and you meet someone healthy, right? We're probably afraid of healthy people when we're like that anyway because our default mode is I'll find someone who's so fucked up they'll be glad to be with me and they'll be grateful that I want to be with them. You know that one, right? Now we may not consciously think that but think about that for a minute, you know. Pick the person that's most rejected and most fucking crazy, you know. And at least they're going to be happy that you like them. That's a real trauma piece because that's, I minimize the chances of rejection or hurt there because they're only too grateful to be with me because no one else will fucking have them, you know. We all know this and it's kind of funny, but it's really, really tragic. So just notice that, just be aware of that. And again, if we're carrying that inner woundedness, that inner child woundedness, that wants desperately to be connected with, but is terrified of it at the same time, right? So I really want to reach out and be me and be loved, but I I'm holding back. I'm terrified. I'm not able to do the part that it might go wrong, and if it goes wrong, so what? What does going wrong mean? What's wrong with showing someone you are, who you are? What's wrong with allowing your your hunger and your desire and your want and your love and your need out? I don't mean in a crazy way. Just just letting someone know this is how I feel, and if they don't play, you know, if they're not into that. Can I cope with that little sting of rejection? I can. I don't care, you know. I'd rather they liked me as well. But if they kind of go, well, no, I'm not, I don't feel that way about you or whatever, that's okay. I don't have to go into shame about that. It's just, just adult choices. That's okay. Anyway, so invariably, invariably, if we're coming from a, a, a dominant wounded child place, if I put it to you that way, in our adult life, We are going to, I'll say choose, but I'm going to use the word reluctantly because it's not a conscious choice. Someone comes on our radar, right, who may well replicate the toxic or abusive people in our childhood, right? And again, this isn't a conscious process by no stretch. Um, we're not aware of it. It might be, you know, we spoke about the love bomb- bombing and all that. It could be really, really, really exciting. But we're going to go for narcissists or toxic people. We're not thinking that at the time. What's the quality the narcissist or the abuser has that we're after? Well, we don't want any of that. There isn't any. But they have that charm, right? The kind of, That's really attractive because narcissists work on that. But what they have, right? This is really bizarre. Try hear me out on this. And again, we're not thinking consciously, oh, there it is. I want to be with him or her. What they have is the unavailability. And we get some sense that they're not okay in themselves. And we get a sense of them that they're a bit superior. But what the child in us would do is we'll read that into, I'm not good enough yet. This all happens very, very quickly. It doesn't happen consciously. And we feed into that. So we go into the piece, I will please them. Right. So that's the I will please them. I will win love from them. So we're already on the back foot. We're on the deficit straight away. Right. We're already uh, in the I'm okay. You're okay. I'm not okay. You're okay stance. Some of you may remember that book. I'm okay. You're okay. It's a great book. Right. So I'm, I'm my starting point is I'm not okay and you're okay. Right. Um, you're really not you're you're okay because I have the illusion that you're better than me and you've got that superior vibe going on. And so you know those people you meet and somehow you feel you want to please them, you don't want to upset them. You don't know why it is. You don't want to, you know, if they get into their stuff, you know. Um that happens very, very early, very early on, you know. Um and again, I'm a supper tea coming on. Uh all right. Someone else said to me as well, see, when you do your podcast, Jimmy, you, you, you allow gaps to happen, don't you? I do, yeah, I like gaps. Because in the real world, there's always gaps, isn't there, you know? That's where the good bits are, often in the gaps. Um, you know some people are obsessed with, what do they call it, radio? You can't have radio silence. Fuck that. I'm going to have another sip of tea. Take a breath. Okay, so I'm describing that dynamic that happens, but it doesn't happen consciously. It happens even though we're enjoying, oh, I like him a her, this is great, this is great. But if we're really tuned in, we'll start seeing the red flags. But I don't want to see the red flags because I'm lonely and I want to connect with someone. It's okay to be lonely. We're all lonely mm-hmm. in that sense. We're all seeking connection. We're, we're relational beings. It's, we're mammals. That's lovely. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. So many people have shame about their deep longings. How how beautiful is it to be that deep, to long for connection, you know? So obviously from a healthy perspective, where I, I like to be is I have a deep longing or yearning, but I'm okay. And if someone doesn't meet that, I'm still okay. It, it It's a bonus kind of thing, you know? So back to the encounter, right? So I'm on the deficit. I'm coming from the wounded child. And I have selected unconsciously an abuser, right? Now, we've got to be really careful here because there's a lot of shaming goes on here, you know, in terms of like, ah, well, you chose to be with him or her or, well, look what you're doing, you're back in that relationship with them again, you know, you should know better or whatever about other people saying it, don't say it to yourself, right? What I'd rather you look at is, how can I grow from this? How can I learn? make it a learning experience because all we're really doing then is we're just being harsh with the child. We're now abusing the child, right? We're doubling up. We're doing the narcissist's job for them, you know? And they like that. They like when we're kind of questioning ourselves because what we inevitably will fall into is somehow I'm not good enough for him or her. What's the narcissist's playbook? The toxic person, what do they always do? They always leave you feeling you're not quite good enough. You know, if you're in your healthy state of mind, you're like, you wouldn't be with them. But when you get caught in, when the child is caught into trying to please this adult who is totally unpleasable, you know, and you've been in the relationships where you make huge efforts for their birthday or whatever it is. And, you know, you go out of your way and you order things and you do this and you do that and, you know, you really want to make it nice for them. And they're kind of like, mm, yeah. You know that feeling, right? It's like they always, and they do it on purpose, they leave it as if you're not quite good enough. And like anyone else would bite your hand off for that level of love that you're offering, right? But this person's kind of like, well, you could have like, I'm not sure about, you know. And if they don't say it, they leave it in the energy field. And they're replicating the feeling in childhood, like there's something desperately wrong with me. I'm not good enough. I can't get it right. I don't get it right. Um, they're going to want somebody else, I must please them. Now, that's very difficult as an adult to be in that encounter when I'm doing that. But I have to remember and be compassionate and firm. This is the child who's been, uh, what's the word, activated. And it's not the happy-go-lucky child, this is the wounded child, right? So if I can start to recognise that and speak calmly but firmly to that child, so it's a bit like I'm seeking the solution from someone who's creating the problem. That somehow I'm going to be the one. All children, have, I'll be the. Then you'll love me. Then it's going to be okay. You know, Ah. <sighs> then he or she will kind of go, yep, you made it. Well done. There's your stamp. There's your, you've got it. You've pleased me. But you are the one. And of course, for a narcissist or a toxic person, you're never going to be the one. Never. So it's a, it's a, an endless spiral of shame, humiliation, of hurt, of fear, of desperation. And they will love grounding you into the ground because they have you where they want you. You know, this, this saying, you know, what we need to learn to do, and I'm saying learn with love, is to be the one for ourselves. You know, that's huge. Um, and it takes a while to get to that. It's an ongoing process. So I think what we need to redo really do is to stand back If you've been in that kind of relationship or you're in it, put your arms around yourself. Give yourself a huge hug here. Give yourself a break. Start to recognise that you're not behaving from your adult perspective. You're not coming from your natural loving child perspective. That your wounded child is very, very activated. And even though it's a child, the child can dominate proceedings. It's very powerful as an adult, how often I've allowed a very wounded, frightened child to dictate my behaviour, you know. And of course, that child's going to bring us further into the, the narcissist rubbing the hands like, oh, lovely, I love this. They can just control you completely, the abuser, the narcissist. Call them what you will, you know. And what makes them particularly cunty, I'm going to use that word, is they, every so often then, they'll throw you a crumb. Right, we all know the crumb. They might buy you a, they never buy you a nice present. They might smile at you, or give you a hug, or do something ordinary, and you think heaven has arrived. So then you reinvest, and you think, oh, I've been a good, you know, I've been a good boy, I've been a good girl. All these chemicals are released, you know. And if we if we become aware that it's the child that's activated, if you're in your plain adult self, you'd say, take a fucking walk. Yeah, I'll get the ball. You wouldn't entertain them. We're all, you know, we can all get caught into this. There's no shame in getting caught into it. We need to understand it and learn from it. Um, But just to say about the levels of shame we can go into, and maybe we start being secretive from our friends because we're back with him or her again, you know, and we feel really ashamed about it. Please don't be. It's okay. Try to tell someone about it. Make sure the person you're telling about it understands what we're talking about here because right? it's not a matter of I just fucking snap out of him and leave him or her. You know, you know what they're like, you found out, ba, 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 all that type of stuff. It's not helpful at all. And um, What we need to understand is the child is activated. There's nothing wrong with me at all. So we need to go away and work with the child. Here's the irony. We have this terribly wounded child and we're handing this child over to this rapist or abusive person. Isn't that some image? Think about that. Think about trying to imagine a little child and an abusive adult and saying, there you go, would you mind Tim horn? I'm going off for a while. I know you'll be good with them. That's what we do when we enter into or stay in relationships with toxic people, you know, and we keep seeking the solution. And I understand the addictive nature of the loop of that, you know. Um, I wrote, I was talking to a friend about this earlier on, should I say this, you know, Uh Yes, I'm saying, I wrote an article I've mentioned. I wrote three articles, a trilogy. I'm promoting myself now um, for the Inside Out magazine. It's a psychotherapy magazine uh, put out by IHIP. And they were very kind. They actually took on the trilogy. It was on narcissism. on this one I'm talking about now, basically. Narcissism and different elements of it. In the third part, the the, the last part of the trilogy, I was writing about... um, how to break away from these relationships, what to do. And one of the, the the kind of titles I used was, you know this, when we're breaking up with someone, it's not you, it's me. You know, that saying we use, um, you know, it's like how to. I, and one of the other articles I said, you know, there must be 50 ways to leave your narcissist, taken from the Paul Simon song. But I was using the phrase, it's not you, it's me, in brackets, but it really is you, right? You know, kind of thing. Um, and in, in a way, playfully, that's where we need to get to. It really is them, it's not you. You know what I mean? They are toxic, very insecure, very, they're also very wounded, right? This is, the, yeah, maybe I'll say a bit about this. They're also very wounded. And for me, that can be the hook because I want to, I'm, I'm naturally, I want to help, but most of us are like that. I want to relate to that I'm kind of go, oh, you know, and we think we can maybe heal the person with love and so forth. Normal people, yes, normal people will respond well to love, care and affection. No problem now. And you'll get it back a hundredfold. Not these fuckers, all right? These are a different ballgame altogether, right? So that will hook us in. And people say, oh, but I know he's really hurt deep down. She's really hurt. Yeah, they are, but they're really, really nasty with the hurt. So some people, the toxic people and narcissists, are very hurt also. But what they've, and I use the word choose again sparingly, what they choose to do is to hurt others with their hurt. Right? Myself and many, many other people, I don't want to hurt people. I don't want people to feel that. So I go the opposite way, as many people do. Right? And sometimes I confuse putting a boundary in place with, I don't want to hurt them. You know? I don't want to hurt them by by saying, listen, do you know what? See the way you keep doing a shit on me every so often, you shit on my head and that and you do a piss while you're there. You know, I don't think I like that anymore, right? Oh, I better not do that. They may be upset. Um, you wouldn't mind not doing that, would you, you know? Oh, look, look, they're like getting angry. No, no, do please, please, shit on me and make sure it's diarrhea, right? And that's a pretty awful image, but think about it. I'm using it on purpose. Imagine putting a boundary in place, to uh, objecting to someone's behavior, but you won't do it because you're afraid it might upset them. Fuck them. Let them be upset. They maybe need to be upset. We're not going to do anything with a narcissist or the toxic person. It's not our business. So it's their choice that they're not dealing with their hurts in a, a more humane or correct way. Their way of dealing with their hurts, if they want to keep hurting other people. That's their choice, right? Our job is to boundary ourselves from that kind of stuff. So, the, you know, it's, it's not you, it's me. But it really is you. We're really saying to the narcissist, you're one fucked up piece of shit basically, you know there's a really nice human being somewhere in there but look, not my job you're you're choosing to do something else with that Um, so I used that it was used brilliantly in um, I'm a great fan of Seinfeld uh, and and corporate enthusiasm, I love that type of humour but George Costanza none of you know Seinfeld, this will mean nothing to you but George Costanza is a very lovable character but he's quite a self-centred character a little bit narcissistic but this woman breaks up with him and she says to him, it's not you, it's me. Now, he doesn't mind the fact that she's breaking up with him. He's offended that she's using that. And he's kind of like, what do you mean? That's my line. I use that. No one says that to me. <laughs> you know, if anyone, it, it is me. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's where he's going with it. It was very, very, very funny. I recommend you yeah, YouTube Seinfeld. It's not you, it's me, George Costanza. It's a brilliantly... uh uh, funny piece, but very, very, very wise and poignant. So we're, we are really saying to the narcissist, it really is you, you know. But sometimes, because of their volatile nature, we might need to I talk about um, one of the, the techniques with dealing with toxic people or narcissists is sometimes we, you know, we grey rock, we firewall them, and sometimes we use plumping, you know. Sometimes we lean into them and kind of go, Jesus, not you, it's me, you know, you're far too... Fucking intelligent, attractive for me. I'm never going to please you, for God's sake. Way out of your league. You know, If you're really strong and comfortable in yourself, you can do that. They don't know what to do with that, you know. Just so don't argue with them. But in brackets, you're saying, it really is you, you prick. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But you don't get into that with them. You know what I mean? And there's something about knowing that. There's something very liberating for the child to realise when the adult in us realises that's actually not okay. Really, It really is them. Their behaviour really is bad. It's got nothing to do with me being good enough, not good enough. They're just behaving bad. So we have to allow people to take responsibility. You know, I'm resistant talking about Trump, but now I've just mentioned him. It's incredible, the lengths. Millions of people go to protect him from taking responsibility for his awful behaviour. It's like they're terrified of him getting in touch with it. So watch that going on as well. Right, I'll leave off that for a minute. Um, but let's come back to that dynamic where we are frightened of the narcissist or the toxic person being left with their feelings, if we say, "It's not you, it's me." We're done." You know, it's over. I I'm, I'm, Or I don't want that type of behavior anymore. Be really, really aware that's a very vulnerable and volatile place for us to get back in with them again, because they'll do quite a few things. They'll plea. They'll, they might go down the kind of compassionate route. And if I see that, I'm kind of... If someone says to me, like, oh, please don't leave me, I'm so hurt, da 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 I find that, and most human beings find that very hard to resist, right? Oh, look, maybe maybe they'll come good. Jesus, maybe maybe they've tapped into a bit of truth, you know. Be that as it may, they're not suitable for a relationship. That can hook you back in. They may try and manipulate. They'll do the suicide thing. They'll do all those kind of tricks. Oh, she's been drinking and taking drugs since you broke up. But, you know, we talked about this before, they do that. That can hook back in. This is where I have to remember. This isn't my parents or guardians. I'm not a child. It's not my job. They're an adult. I'm going to look after my child. So, as I'm drawing closer to an end, there's probably a few of you going, Ah, no, you need to talk about this, that the other. We love listening to you. You're so great. I'm joking. I'm probably missing out things is what I mean. I can come back to them and you can let me know. Ultimately, what we really need to do here is, I'm going to use the transactional analysis language, really develop a good, strong relationship with our adult and our child, right? Those two aspects of the child we're talking about, we need to bring our adult in. When we're in our adult way of thinking, and our adult is calm, we all have a balanced, reasonable, our adult will see this in other people, our adult wouldn't put up with crap, right? So the adult needs to kind of like reclaim power in our being because the wounded child is really running the show. Um, and as lovable as that child is, he or she can be a little pain in the arse, right? So we need to lovingly take power back. Not even from the narcissist, from our own inner child, because our own inner wounded inner child is doing us more harm than the actual narcissist in a bizarre way. Um, and give ourselves the right to have that, right? Once we can move, once we, our solution or our salvation is not outside of us, it's in me, I can control that narrative. I can't do anything about what you're going to do. I can't make you love me. I can't make you love me. You know, you can't make someone love you. We all know this. Whether they're narcissistic or not, we have no control over that. Let go of that. It's not about them. It's bring bringing that loving adult energy into ourselves. So maybe I can begin to love me the way I want the other to love. You know that feeling of disappointment you always get when someone doesn't quite step up to the, you know, you just feel a bit like, oh yeah, that was great. You know, I can bring that to myself. I can say the things I want the other to say to me. I can say, I think you're an amazing, beautiful, wonderful human being. I love you. I think you're cute. You're sweet. You're nice. You're just, ec-. I can say that to me and tr- learn, to, I do believe it now. And if, and if someone else says this as well, that's a lovely bonus. But there's a switch there, do you see? Where before it was like I was dependent on everybody everybody else to tell me that. And worst of the bargain, I was picking fucking lunatics who were never going to tell me that. You know, so I was in that loop, right? So we get out of that loop. Take charge. Bring your adult in, right? Give yourself the right to put a boundary in place. Give yourself the right to say, do you know what? No diarrhea today, thank you very much. I don't want that. No bad behavior. It's okay. And if... That fucking hurts you. Fucking deal with it. You're an adult. Your narcissist is an adult. They're not your problem. Do you get me? Um, So bring it back to you. As I love you saying, let it begin with me. Bring it back to yourself. Bring it back into who you are. You've got every right. Give yourself the right. I've got a right to look after me. I've got a right to look after this wounded child. There's certain beliefs I have that I may need to kind of straighten out because they're a bit distorted. You know what I mean? Uh, Ones like, no one could ever really love me. Yes, they can. And they will. But that's dependent on me really, love. You know, there is something deeply wrong with me. No, there isn't. You know, I can make mistakes. My behavior can be off. There's nothing fundamentally wrong with me at all. You know, I've said this to some, I work as a therapist, you know, some client, most clients, and I would be happy to do myself a business and find another job. I often say, there's fucking nothing wrong with you. You know what I mean? There's nothing, I can save you like hours of therapy and money. There's nothing wrong with you. You know, what's wrong with you is you think there's something wrong with you. That's, I want you all to hear that. There is nothing wrong with you, except you think there's something wrong with you. And because of that, maybe you're making a few bogey choices. You're, you know, a bit of repetitive behaviors. Now look, this stuff takes a while to work with. I'm saying this as if it's easy. It's not easy. It takes a while, but we can work on it. We really can. And if we get like-minded people involved, And you listen to good music, you know, and and, and you hang with good people and you read some good stuff and you listen to these podcasts or other podcasts, you know. Oh, while I'm there, just a little shout out for a few podcasts. Um, I haven't, I've heard a good bit of them, the the two lads from around local here talking bollocks. They're really, really good. I don't know if you've come across them. They have an enormous following. Uh, Just two young, two young lads. I think they're, I imagine they're in their 30s or maybe less. I think. I don't know them, but I know people that know them, Calvin and Terence are their names, and they, they're they talking bollocks, they start talking really good stuff though, that's a lovely Dublin saying, yeah. talking bollocks can mean nothing, or it can mean something serious, or it can mean someone's lying, but it, it develops into this really good conversation, and they have these great guests on, guests, and, and they're, they're really fun, I think they're really, really good. Um, I know there's millions of podcasts, but the ones I'd be interested in would be them. The, the, the lads down in Cork, the two Norries, I don't know them but I've heard them. They do brilliant stuff on, on this type of stuff and addiction and recovery and there's great stuff out there on this. Uh, Blind Boy does an interesting, you know, all these not all these aren't everyone's cup of tea but they're, they're Blind Boy does it in a different way. He's a brilliant researcher, you know, he's just very interesting to listen to. So that's that. So um, that's what I'm saying to you, keep researching, keep looking at stuff. You know, there really is nothing wrong with you. You know, you're a very unique, beautiful, magical being. I really mean that. We, I, I believe we all come from the same place, deep, 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 in the well of consciousness connected to the divine, I believe, God. But we come out uniquely to express whoever we are, you know, in that unrepeatable way. And like, what are we on the planet for? If you're lucky to you get 50, 60, 70 years, what are you waiting for? Make that call, reach out. Tell someone who deserves that they love them. Tell yourself you love yourself, you know. Make a decision maybe that you're not going to, you know, sell yourself short anymore, you know, to these fucking lunatics. There, there, there's plenty of them, but there's loads of great people around that uh, just want to love and be loved like anybody else. So, um, yeah, I think I'm kind of drawn to a close gradually. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything else more I want to say about that other than really be aware of the child in you, right? And be aware with kind and loving eyes. Don't come at this harshly because then you're just replicating the abuse again. Be aware that when you make decisions that you're looking at aren't really good decisions in relationship, choosing partners that aren't able to love you correctly, right? Uh, you know, don't give yourself don't give yourself a hard time for being in that or staying in that. But maybe start to learn, understand what's really, really going on. You don't really love this person. You don't. We think we think we love them. We don't. You know, you may see something in them. You don't at all. You're just replicating uh, an abusive dynamic, and the child just wants to be loved. That's all. So what a great opportunity to to push a arm around, around that child, move away from the narcissist, and say okay, I've got you, I love you, I'm going to look after you, you know, and then maybe we can make choices to get relationships with people who will love us. And they're there, you know, whether they're friends, you, you, I'm sure you've got friends who love you, and, you know, but spouses, whatever, whoever they are, family members, they're there, they can love you. But once it's coming from you, once you decide I'm the first part, you know, I'm the first, I'm the start, let it, let it begin, I love me. And if I go into the world and then you love me too, well, thanks, that's great. But I'm not relying on it anymore, you know. Even from a healthy person, because even the best person in the world is going to, not on purpose, they're going to let you down, you know, in a nice way, because they're just going to be human and have their own needs. And that's okay. So we find a nice balance there. So it's not you, it's me, but it really is you. Remember that. It really is them. They're full of shit and you're not. And I love you, and leave you there. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining me in the Twilight Conversations. If you'd like to get in contact with us regarding any aspect of the show, you can get in touch at the Conversations at gmail.com. So the Twilight Conversations is an independent project. We're not getting any help from anybody, no major corporations or anything like that. So if you like the content, if you like what you're hearing, please continue to support us via our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the Twilight Conversations.